0: Federal Tag Updates Related to Opioids and Substance Use Disorder, A Conversation with Pam Metter. This episode included a visual PowerPoint presentation. To watch a video recording of this discussion, find the link in the description of this podcast. Good afternoon and welcome to our series of webinars focused on bringing you information about COVID-19-related topics. The information in these weekly webinars is geared toward long term care and skilled nursing facilities, but we encourage everyone who's interested to attend. Today, we'll be discussing federal tag updates related to opioids and substance use disorder. My name is Kathy Caudill. I'm a communications specialist with Quality Insights. And now I'd like to introduce our guest today, Pam Metter. Pam is the Director of Regulatory Services with the West Virginia Healthcare Association. So Pam, welcome back. It's good to have you again. And uh, if you're ready, you can go ahead and take it away. Fantastic. Thank you, Kathy. And thank you,
1: Quality Insights, for allowing me to come and talk to your audience again. Okay, so we're going to talk about the, as Kathy says, we're going to be talking about the federal uh, tag updates. And we're going to focus on the opioid and substance use disorder portion of the tags. So this first slide is talking about Appendix PP. This is where many of the uh, or all of the updates are coming from. I refer to the Appendix PP as a study guide. Everything within that we're going to be talking about is within this link all the red data that's written within Appendix PP is the new updates that occurred that October 23rd. That's when they went into effect. So we are only going to be going over the newest updates. I'm not going to be going over all the old information that was already there prior to. We're just going to hit the new updates that you might not be aware of. The first one that we are going to start with is F-755, which is pharmacy services. Um, Much of the information in this section is talking about fentanyl, fentanyl transdermal patches. Uh, They focused on the fentanyl transdermal patches because there was a lot of of tags associated with the use and the, and the, um, and the, uh, um, the, adverse effects and the side effects and um, disposal of these fentanyl patches. Uh, They also focused on the fentanyl patches because there is a huge potential for abuse, misuse, diversion, and accidental exposure because there is a certain amount of medication left in the patch after removal. So CMS is really focused on getting on how to dispose of properly these patches. Uh, the the way that they recommend that you dispose of them, of course, is to fold the patch in half with the sticky sides together and then flushing them down the, the sink. I guess they meant like a hopper or the toilet. And one of the things that you need to realize when you're when you're doing this is whether your uh, local law or your state law prevents this from restricts The flushing of any pharmaceuticals. Now, fentanyl is not in the category, the fentanyl patches is not in the category federally where EPA bans flushing. So that is the recommended disposal by the EPA. So check with your local and your state law to see if fentanyl flushing is permitted. Um, Another thing that it talks about is when you dispose of these, like. I know putting them in a sharps container, for example, they do not consider that um, adequate disposal, especially if it's in the residence' room or if it's in a trash can in a um in a common area so and I put it in bold there because it does stress uh, specifically um common areas so you know putting it in a sharps container in the med room the med room is not a common area Uh, so that could be a potential idea if flushing is not an option um there are uh there's you also have to assure that your staff and this is directly within the regs you have to assure that your staff is trained on disposal of fentanyl patches so whatever your policy states you're gonna to have to have a training for your nurses on proper disposal, and that's gonna to have to be uh, documented training for all nurses who utilize the fentanyl patches. Remaining on pharmacy, we're gonna talk about, um, they are, they've are they pointed out some labeling and storage information to make sure that all of your drugs uh, and biologicals are labeled, and tagged as um, currently accepted. So the date that it was opened, if it was a multi-use vial, all of those things that we always do, what we're supposed to do with um, biologicals or storing drugs, whatever, they've actually written out exactly what they're gonna be looking for. Now, here's a couple of definitions when because we're gonna move into F-689, which is accidents. And you, you wonder, you know, you think about opioids and you think about those types of things that we're talking about. Um, these tags are everywhere. Not at pharmacy, you would think opioids and that kind of thing would be under there. But it's also there's a, quite a bit about it under accidents, S689. And they give you a couple of definitions. The first one being opioid use disorder. And I'm not going to read you the definitions. You guys can read those. Um, And then the other one is medication-assisted treatment. So that one I am going to kind of point out, it's not just medications. This is in combination with counseling services or behavioral therapies and a whole patient approach. So if you have residents that have been diagnosed with a substance use disorder. And there's a definition for that later on. I just want you to be aware that their medication assisted treatments not, is not just medication. There's other things that we're gonna have to be sure that is included within their care when we are um, doing a care plan for these residents. And there's the definition for substance use disorder. It's defined as a recurrent use of alcohol alcohol and or drugs that causes clinically and functionally significant impairment, such as blah, blah, blah. So if you are taking residents with substance use disorder, which in long-term care is becoming more and more frequent, residents are getting younger and younger because of these substance use disorder, disorders. Um, medication related dementias, those types of things. It's becoming very prevalent within our long-term care facilities and it is a um, it's a true issue for our staff and for our other residents. We've got to totally focus d- divert our focus from geriatric care into behavioral uh, behavioral care. We've got to we've got to start looking at it that way. Um, Now, talking about residents with substance use disorders, uh, you have to be, the the new regulations specifically spell out that facilities should be prepared to address any emergency related to substance use. And we realize what that means. Um, Narcan, the availability of Narcan, the the, the, um, capabilities of our staff to administer Narcan. Uh, CPR, making sure our staff are up to date on their CPR as appropriate. Uh, making sure that our EMS services are aware that we may have residents that are overdosing or have issues with substance use disorder. And 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 I have found that these your emergency medical services they're a, they're a wonderful um, resource. To come in and do the training for you, train them on the Narcan use and how to how to um, how to administer and how to monitor for opioid, uh, opioid issues or for overdose issues. And this and they've put this not once but twice within the new federal regs. The United States Surgeon General has recommended that not naloxone or Narcan be kept on hand when there's a risk for opioid overdose so be sure that you guys if you have folks on opioids doesn't have to be a substance use disorder it could be i remember what back in the old days uh, we would have the um the medication administration self-medication administration with morphine, and we would have a Narcan taped right on the top. Couldn't do that now. It's a little glass of smile Narcan. We would tape it right on the top, but um, now, it's, now we would have to have the capabilities, but uh, you have to have training associated on how to use it. It has to be safe from other residents, so forth and so on, and then there's a link there for some resources on how you can develop your substance use disorder Um, policies and procedures. Continued under accidents. uh, One of the areas is resident to resident altercations. And again, talking about um, opioids and substance use disorders, we know sometimes agitation, combativeness, aggressiveness, whatever, anxiousness, all of that goes along with substance use disorders. So we have to evaluate staff's competency um, related to behavioral health care and with dementia care. So we have to make sure that our staff is trained, competent, and can supervise and can approach those who may be agitated, combative, aggressive, whatever, whatever. So this is our job to make sure that our staff is competent on any kind of resident to resident altercation. And, and it's under resident to resident altercation, but it's, it's, it's also referring to any type of altercation that your resident may have. And this portion is pointing to sub- those with substance use disorders. Resident safety, for the, the safety for residents with substance use disorder, who you know those with substance use disorder um, might want to go out of the facility without letting anybody know in order to obtain their drug of choice, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs or whatever. So they have addressed this specifically within the regs. They have it. It's not really. I didn't really put it here, but there is a section in there that talks about elopement. What's elopement? What's not elopement? What is leaving against medical advice? and the documentation that has to go along with it. Um, so you need to go into the P- appendix PP and read what is uh, what is considered um, leaving against medical vice again, uh, versus elopement. And you have to do a little bit of explaining, a little bit of teaching, and a little bit of documentation to show that even though this person is alert and oriented, they have a substance use disorder, but they left without anybody knowing it. Um, There's, there's some, there's some different examples and things that you should be aware of within Appendix PP. Uh, You also, as a facility, you have to um, assess whether or not there is a risk for the resident to be doing this and you also have a responsibility to ensure the safety of all residents because you know personally we had a situation at a the facility i used to work at we had a younger fella that was substance use disorder and this has been years and years before substance use disorder was a thing um, he wouldn't go out and get the drugs the illegal drugs he would have friends come and visit him and he would then they would bring the drugs into the facility And those are things that we have to be aware of and we have to make sure that we're assessing and care planning those risks. Uh, For the care plan interventions, they specifically give you some things that you have to have within your care plan. Uh, We have to give the resident appropriate diversions, which I guess activities or whatever the diversions might be to keep them from wanting to do these types of, of activities. Uh, We want to make sure that the resident knows they're to seek us out and talk to us if they have issues rather than leaving to seek out substances, and we have to document these conversations. Uh, We have to advise the residents of the risk of leaving the facility and and that they're uh, um, in order to, and also the risks of doing an AMA or Against Medical Advice Discharge and then we also have to provide them with referrals and discharge plans as soon as possible. And these aren't things, these aren't suggestions that I'm just putting out there. These are things that are literally within Appendix PP that they have live listed. All right, let's move on to 690, F697, which you would think opioid management would be our main focus. And that is under pain management. Um, and a lot of this right here on this page is pretty much standard we might use opioids to um, appropriately treat acute and chronic pain. Um, They want, but within the the regs, they talk about how uh, prescribing these opioids um, might be something as a secondary thought And to consider using alternative pain management approach approaches, which, you know, our physicians, our physicians are um, alternative approaches is not their forte, their forte is medications. It's our job as clinical persons within long term care to determine what alternative pain management approaches utilize or we should utilize, whether it be, you know, a whirlpool or whether it be guided imagery or whatever we decide we're going to actually do, not just write down and say we're doing, but actually doing it. uh, That's, that's, that's our responsibility. Um, It talks about the lowest possible effective dose of opioids should be prescribed for the shortest amount of time possible. We, we, that, you know, that's something that we we don't prescribe as long-term care facilities. Our physicians and our nurse practitioners, all those people do. But it is our responsibility as clinical leaders to monitor, to make sure that there is a, a you know, a, a short time frame, that we have a DC date. It's our job as a pharmacies. Uh, our pharmacist consultant should be monitoring these things. Um, We should be monitoring for effectiveness. We should be monitoring for adverse events or side effects. Those are our our responsibilities. The last bullet point talks about long-acting opioids may provide more consistent pain relief with less breakthrough pain. However, um, for a resident with dementia, the immediate release forms are generally preferred over the long acting forms. So they've actually put that within the regs. Okay, use of opioid for pain management is talking, now this this one is talking more about the respiratory depression and the use of of Narcan and things like that. Um, And it also talks about combining opioids and benzodiazepines um, should be avoided. If it's clinically indicated, there are things that we need to watch for. Uh, if they're 65 and older, they, that includes falls and hip fractures, cognitive impairment and confusion, daytime fatigue, and delirium. So my suggestion for this is to make sure anybody that's on the opioids, you go through and you check or you have your pharmacist consultant check to see if there are benzodiazepines as well as opioids. And if there are, then we need to A, find out if that's if that's the only clinical um. In, uh, interventions that can be utilized, and if it is, if the physician said, "Yep, this is what we have to do," then we have to uh, increase our monitoring for side effects and any type of adverse reactions. Um, these are just some uh, resources that, if you're if you're not sure exactly how to handle the benzodiazepine and opioid combination, if you're not sure what. Uh, how to present it to your physician because this physician has like several residents on this combination. These are some resources that you could utilize in order to uh, do some um, fact-based exchanges with them. Now, this one, the one, the second bullet point talks about uh, residents with opioid use disorders. And you may have to include their medication assistant treatment. And if you'll remember when we talked about that before, they've actually got it documented under pain management that this includes therapy, this includes um, behavioral techniques, not just medication. So they've spelled that out once again, not only under accidents, but under pain management. Okay, Um, now our assessments have changed a little bit also for pain management. Included within our pain management assessment is going to be a history of addiction, past or ongoing and related treatments for their um, uh, opioid use disorders. So make sure within your nursing assessments, those and your pain assessment history, their history of any addiction is listed. Uh, and then also if they're any, on any medication assisted treatment, as well, that would be a question. Now they might not know it's it's no it's listed as medication assisted treatment, but they definitely know if they're in therapy, if they're on anything for any type of history for of addiction, and this is both alcohol and drug use. More about monitoring. Um, we want when you admit folks with substance use disorder. There's some more. Um, Assessments that you have to include within it. Uh, one of them is to evaluation of the time and day patterns to their complaints of pain. They say that if you if you're considering that this is a that this resident is um, uh, is this resident is drug seeking, and you want to evaluate their pain patterns, time or day patterns to see when these these requests for pain medicine is occurring. It also is pointing out that this could be due to drug diversion. Um, We had a nurse who was, uh, she would pass meds on one hall, but she would go to the other halls, which the two med carts was in the same med room and open up their um, med drawer and she would replace the residents' Percocets with uh, Tylenol three, and no one would really, really knew it um, until you know we, of course, till we found out. And pain control was the the thing that showed us the, that this resident was not getting the pain control that they needed from the Tylenol three. When we and then we found out she was supposed to be on Percocet but they were Tylenol-3s. So anyway, um, we evaluating for time and day. So if a resident is getting pain medicine routinely all night long, but still complaining of pain during the mornings, then we need to look at maybe some possible drug diversions. Uh, The facility, again, opioid overdoses, your facility has to have a written policy based on potential opioid overdoses. What are you gonna do? How are you gonna do it? who's responsible for for doing it and the training associated with it. There's more, there's another resource. And then um, there's a tag there, F757 unnecessary medications um, that you could be tagged on if the staff is not monitoring for proper adverse effects of the opioid use. Okay, and what are those adverse effects and side effects? They actually pulled from the CDC uh, a number of side effects that opioids can uh, cause, even when given as directed. Um, Some of those they've listed through here, uh, including whether or not they become um, dependent on it, whether if they become tolerant to it with an increased pain levels. Uh, Constipation, one of the big things that we always had to do was make sure if a resident was on a pain medicine they were on some type of stool softener or stool something that would prevent constipation because that that could be a sentinel event if they got an impaction. So we got to be it, that's another thing to look. If your resident is on some type of opioid or some type of of pain medicine that causes uh, constipation, that they're also on something to prevent um, to prevent it. Um, nausea, vomiting, dry mouth, sleepiness, depression, itching, sweating, etc. So all of those things should be on, and we put them on our medmar to to and made our and our nurses documented every time that medicine was administered, whether or not or whenever they were determining if the pain level went down, whether or not any of the side effects went down. Okay, let's move on to F nine four nine behavioral health. Um, I think everybody knows that's probably on this call realizes that behavioral health in long term care has become one of the biggest, um, I don't want to say problems, but one of our biggest challenges uh, because we're not trained as behavioral health um, clinical type behavioral health personnel. So we have to make sure that our staff is competent to the skills necessary for the care specific to those that are diagnosed with a mental condition and that includes any type of substance use disorder, um, trauma, any type of history of trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder. Our staff has to be competent on these things and this is spelled out within the regs. So if, if these types of, of care specific items are not within your competencies they need to be, uh, the, and, and it's something that, that if, you know, you're doing a um, assessment on your staff and you feel like they don't do very well with, say, an aggressive resident, that's something that needs to be included within your competencies, How and it doesn't need to be just for that one person. It could be for everybody. You could do training associated with that for everyone.
0: Pam, it's been great having you back here. We hope to see you again soon. Thank you guys so much. Take care. If you want to contact Pam Metter, you can email her at PMetter at wvhca.org. That's P-M-E-A-D-O-R at wvhca.org. You can check out our other interviews by visiting qualityinsights.org slash QIN slash Multimedia.